This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by Book Riot Newsletters. Did you know Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every day. And don't miss our newest newsletter, Our Queerest Shelves, which will deliver LGBTQ news and recommendations straight to your inbox. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, mystery thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com newsletters. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 97, and we are recording on Tuesday, March 9th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Nezra Javed, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Nezra. How are you? I am good, Katie. It's been a good beginning to the week. We've had plenty of sun here, but chilly winds, but it's it's been good. What about you? Well, you know what? We've actually had some sun in the Chicago area. I got a teensy bit of it today. I wish I'd had a chance to get more of it because it was also like 65 degrees and I was like, this is magical. (laughs) Um, Because I'm still, even though we've had warmer weather for the last few weeks, and by warmer, I mean like above freezing, I'm still just afraid that we're going to have another gigantic blizzard because that's what Chicago does. It gives us blizzards in April. And so I'm like, I never feel like I'm out of range of like, (laughs) sub-zero temperatures and blizzards and ice and snow. So it's it's been warm, but I everyone who lives in Chicago in the Chicago area just kind of looks at this weather very suspiciously, like, all right, when is the other shoe gonna drop? What are you up to? <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be nice this weekend because daylight savings time. I don't yes. know if it does it end, does it start? I don't know, but we're gonna be get, we're gonna be getting uh, extra extra daylight starting Sunday, and I'm so excited for that. Yeah, uh, for us, like ever since I've had my daughter, uh, daylight savings in winters is like, oh yes, you know, like more sleep, and then in, like around this time, it's like, oh no, we're losing an hour of sleep, so. My my daylight savings is dominated by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people it's they they get excited about the extra hour of sleep. Some people get excited about the extra hour of daylight, depending on what exactly. time of year. And yeah, for me, I've always well, no, I take that back. When I was younger, I was really excited about the extra hour of sleep. But as I've gotten older and have learned to despise winter, <laughs> I get super <laughs> excited that we're going to have more daylight. I'm like, oh, the darkness is lifting. <laughs> My seasonal affective disorder is so happy right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely something to look forward to, like more sunlight and just a longer days. Yeah, and think of it, it's a it's no, you're not losing an hour of sleep, you're gaining an hour of reading. There you go. <laughs> that's perspective <laughs> for you. <laughs> Absolutely. I 100% agree. <laughs> so yes, hopefully all of you will be able to take advantage of an extra hour of daylight and an extra hour of reading and enjoy the sunshine and vitamin D and all of that essential stuff. Yes. All right. So uh, do you want to go ahead and give us our first sponsor before we jump into stuff? Yes. So this episode of Fred or Dead is sponsored in part by Harper Paperbacks. 322 miles of road, six hours, two strangers, one killer, too many secrets. 
In this riveting follow-up to Jessica Barry's debut, Freefall, we have a controversial off-the-moment thriller about two women fighting for their right to live. Kate Monahan and Rebecca McRae are on a desolate road that slices through the New Mexican desert. They have never met before tonight. Both have secrets to protect. When a truck pulls up fast behind them, they assume it's a teenager's or run-of-the-mill road rage, but it soon becomes clear that whoever is driving the truck is hunting them for sport, and they're out to drop blood. If Kate and Rebecca are going to survive, they'll have to learn to trust one another and themselves. Lauded as the New York Times' best crime novel of the year, you don't want to miss this fantastic follow-up to Barry's debut thriller, Free Fall. People magazine says that Barry's adrenaline-fueled adventure explores the Me Too movement, cancel culture, reproductive rights, and white male extremism. Buckle up for a hard-stopping ride. Thank you to Harper Paperbacks for sponsoring the show, and the title is Don't Turn Around by Jessica Barry. All right, so if you are a new listener, welcome. We're delighted to have you. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. We are delighted that you have shown up again to listen to us every two weeks. And as we said at the beginning of the show, we talk about mysteries and suspense and thrillers and everything that falls under that umbrella, whether it's new adaptations that are that are coming out, whether it's read-alikes for a super popular author, subgenres that don't get explored as much. We'll we'll talk about it if it falls under the mystery and suspense umbrella. And this is the point in the episode where we put out a call to our listeners for suggestions for upcoming episodes. They really have helped us plan a lot of the episodes in the past year since we've been doing this podcast. And it's really great to hear from our listeners about what kind of topics they would be interested in hearing about, because obviously we want this to be interesting so that you all keep coming back. So if you have any ideas or recommendations, you can shoot us an email or reach out via social media. We'll have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes, so don't worry about that. We just always put the call out ahead of time to get get those juices flowing, Put uh, invite you to put your thinking caps on. And even if you don't have an idea, just want to say hi. We love hearing from, from our listeners for that as well. It really makes us smile to know that people are enjoying the, the show and tuning in every two weeks. And if you do enjoy this podcast, you can also leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. It's very helpful to increase our listener base and get more people into the red or dead fold, and it's just very helpful. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into news because there's a lot of adaptation news that's come out over the last couple of weeks. March has been a very big month for like book releases and adaptations and stuff. So why don't you, why don't you go ahead and kick us off, Nasra? Yeah. So yeah, that like you said, it's been such an you have such an exciting like lineup of adaptation news like coming up that. I am myself I'm like marking my calendar about what I need to keep an eye out for. And one of the things that I know I'm definitely going to look out for is Mila Kunis is now st- lined up to star for the thriller novel Luckiest Girl Alive, which is turning into a film adaptation for Netflix. And uh, Kunis stars as Annie Fennell in the upcoming film. And 
the the book itself is about a New York magazine editor whose life sort of unravels when a crime documentary forces her to relive the shocking truths of her like of her past and i just love how i have been following kunis's career throughout and she has this intensity like in her like she brings like she gives everything to her acting like when i saw the black swan i was blown away by her performance and honestly like now that i've ever since i've seen this news i cannot picture anyone else to play that character better than mila and she has such range in just the movie she's chosen and the role she's played so i'm very excited for this one and Noel herself is adapting the screenplay and she will serve as an executive producer on the film directed by Ma- Mike Parker so we know that uh she's going to make sure that the screenplay is authentic and does justice to the book which was a brilliant like fast-paced and if psych- psychological thrillers is your thing then the luckiest girl alive by Jessica Noel is an amazing one to pick and it's a great time to do it now so that you can you know wait to re- like get ready to watch the film yeah i read that book a few years ago that book was a gut punch that was i like i was expecting it to be intense i was not expecting it to be that intense it was it's it t- it covers some heavy topics so just be aware of that if you do pick up the book yes um but yeah it was it was really really good so i was excited to see that they're adapting that as well and in, well, pretty much everything that we've got in the news segment is adaptation news, so I'm not even going to bother with that segue. It's all adaptation news. But here's a little fun fact, which I did not know until I saw this news item. Did you know that in the mid-90s, Anthony Bourdain wrote a couple of crime novels? I sure didn't. I had no idea. And one of his crime novels called Gone Bamboo, which was published in 97, is being adapted into a TV series. So there's not a ton of information about the adaptation yet. It's an assassin thriller, and Bourdain described the story um, when it was published. He described it as a sociopath beach book. So you have really hedonistic, unlikable characters and you've got like intense thriller, like action adventure thriller with the with the assassin plot line. And yeah, it it just sounds like it is it is a total madcap thriller, just perfectly made for an adaptation. So that's gonna become a TV series. So now you know that it's becoming a TV series and that Anthony Bourdain dabbled in mystery fiction, which the more you know. Um, so as we get more information about that, we'll put it out there. But this we definitely wanted to put on people's radars. Yeah, when you uh, when Katie told me that Anthony Bourdain like his it was turning into an adaptation, my first question was, "Is there food in it?" <laughs> so, <laughs> it from the description, it doesn't appear that it's yeah. that there's much food in there. So, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe this is a very food centric ass- assassin <laughs> thriller. Yeah, but it sounds like it's a very globe trotter, like sort of. It will have some of the themes of his show where he travels to different areas. And in this case, apparently, like there's murder involved instead of food. But I'm so, <laughs> like, I did not know that at all. And um, now I'm like, I know for sure I'm going to check those out. And then for our next in line for adaptation, so 
Star Wars Daisy Ridley will be trading her, like will be trading in her lightsaber for a pair of running shoes when she stars in the Marcius King's Daughter. So this is a psychological thriller that is based on novel by Karen Dion. And the story revolves around Helena, a woman living in a seeming like a seemingly ordinary life, but she's hiding her dark, a dark secret. Her father is the infamous Marsh King, the man who kept her and her mother captive in the wilderness for years. And after a lifetime of trying to escape her past, Helena is forced to face her demons when her father unexpectedly escapes from prison. The novel itself, the novel is called The Marsh's King Daughter by Karen Dion. And a lot of trigger warnings for abuse and like it ha- it deals with some heavy content but if um you're someone who appreciates like landscape woven into your thrillers and just characters working through their past and and if you enjoyed where the crawdads sing oh if you enjoyed that one this thriller is for you and then i was super excited to see that daisy ridley will be the one who will be uh starring as helena just because she is such a fantastic actress and like I'm, I really want to see what how she what she does with this role. And this adaptation is set to be directed by Neil Berger, who also is the one who directed the Divergent series. So it's going to be definitely an interesting adaptation to see. And if you want to check out the book, it's The Marsh King's Daughter by Karen Dion. So our next news item for you is about an adaptation news about a novel that just came out on March 2nd called We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker. Disney's 20th television has snagged the rights to this novel and it's um, a spellbinding murder mystery. And we don't have much information because the, the production house themselves are still looking for a writer. But the uh, Thomas Scale and Jennifer Todd will be the ones who will be producing and producing this under their old 320 banner. A little bit about what the book is. We begin at the end follows a convict named Vincent King, who's released from prison 30 years after being convicted for killing a seven-year-old girl. And the connection he has with the victim's 13-year-old niece, Duchess Ray Radley, and the chief of police in a small California town. Vincent's former best friend whose testimony has helped send Vincent to prison. So it's already, uh, it seems like a small town murder mystery and a lot of like secrets, lies. I haven't had a chance to get to it yet, but it is already, it has made so many of like the highly anticipated lists of the year. I know I've seen it everywhere on Goodreads. So this should definitely, as we get more news about how, like who, who the writer is going to be, who is going to write the screenplay and more about the, we'll know about more about the casting. We're definitely going to keep you updated, but for now, this is all we know. And if you, in the meantime, if you want to check out the book, it's called We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker. All right. And then finally, some definite adaptation news that we are both super excited for. Get your jazz hands ready. We have a North America release date for the adaptation of The Dry. Woohoo! Oh, yeah. (laughs) So if you have not read Jane Harper yet, The Dry was Jane Harper's um, debut 
mystery novel. It is so good. And if you like Tana French and have not read Jane Harper, you need to correct that immediately because Jane Harper is a fantastic read alike for Tana French. Her books take place in Australia instead of Ireland, like with Tana French. But they, oh my gosh, they're so good. They're so character driven. They're dark. They're really dominated by a really strong sense of place. And so The Dry is one of those books that people read and just, they loved it. And so that's going to be coming out on May 21st. Um, it's going to be screened in cinemas. So if you are in an area where you can go to the movie theater safely in, in this, our second year of COVID, then you can do that. It's also going to be on demand if you'd rather watch from home. But yes, we have a date, May 21st. It's starring Eric Bana. And <sighs> I am so excited. So excited. You had me at Jane Harper, and then you said Eric Bana. <laughs> yeah. When I first heard Eric Bana was going to be starring, I was like, what What more do you need? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it's still got a couple of months, but hopefully those those months will, will go by. And I really hope that the adaptation is good. I have confidence, but there's always a little bit of trepidation when it's a book that you really, really loved, because sometimes they don't turn out well. <laughs> Oh, yes. And I completely agree. And I feel like just to add on to what you were saying, because, you know, you know how we are. We never we can never stop talking about Jane Harper. But uh, <laughs> like Jane Harper, I feel like Donna French, her novels are more psychological. Very, They go into the nitty gritty of like how the brain works. Whereas Jane Harper is grittier in the sense that she go like she also incorporates how the physical elements or the external elements around a character are forcing them or driving their decisions. And that's something that that fascinates me about her work as well. So if that's something that, you know, if you really enjoy Westerns or just like love landscape as a character in a story, Jane Harper is for you. And even if you think you don't like it, because I'm not a huge fan of Westerns and landscape, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Read her yeah. anyway. She's amazing. <laughs> All right. So that's that's the end of our adaptation news. Like we said, there was a lot <laughs> there was a lot this week. And actually before we before we jump into our main discussion for this episode, let me go ahead and, and do our second sponsor really quick. Our second sponsor for this episode is the audiobook edition of Last Call by Elon Green, which is a very interesting true crime book that has just come out. And it's the story of the last call killer and the gay community of New York City that he preyed upon. So this mostly takes place in the early, like late 80s, early 90s. Scene is set at the townhouse bar in July of 92. You have a piano player who just seems to know every song that's ever been written. The crowd is belting out the lyrics to their favorite songs. There's a man standing nearby drinking a scotch and water. And he strikes the piano player as someone who's forgettable, kind of bland, kind of inconspicuous looking. Not at all what you think a serial killer would look like. But unfortunately, that is what he is. And tonight he has his sights set on a gray haired man. He will not be his first victim, nor will he be his last. So the last call killer preyed upon gay men in New York in the 80s and 90s and had all of the hallmarks of the most notorious serial killers that we know in 
specifically in American culture, but because of the sexuality of his victims, the sky-high murder rates, and the AIDS epidemic that was going on at the time, his murders have really been almost entirely forgotten. So this book tells the story of the Last Call Killer, the decades-long chase to find him, and it really paints a portrait of his victims and the community that they were a part of, this vibrant community that really had to navigate threats on from so many different angles and really develop this this strong resilience. I was super excited when I saw that this was going to be our second sponsor because before I saw that this was going to be our sponsor, I had actually picked this book as one of our as one of my most anticipated new releases for the next couple of weeks. So if you like true crime when it dives into either like unknown events in history or just unknown slices of life that otherwise have have been lost to time this sounds like a super super interesting probably difficult to read but ultimately really important book so again that is the last call by Elon Green and you can pick up the audiobook edition of this wherever audiobooks are sold all right and then for our main discussion, well, we we know March is, is Women's History Month, so we started by saying, well, let's do an episode on revenge thrillers, like female-driven revenge thrillers, because like the movie that came out recently with Carrie Mulligan, a promising young woman, like we're starting to see more of these type these types of thrillers. And then when we we realized like when we were looking at books to pick, like it's not we're not just looking at revenge thrillers. There's a lot of stuff going on in these when you start looking at women's our relationships to violence, whether it's in fiction or true crime, there's a lot of really complicated stuff going on. Yeah. So that uh, when I was actually doing some research about this, what what I was looking for, it was just like a more deep dive into how, like, how there's not a lot of like studies done, or not a lot of narratives revolving around uh, like female serial killers. And that is not to say that it, uh, I in any way support their crimes, or of course, like seek them out, like essentially. But what I was trying to get into was how much of an analysis, or how much of a deep dive into what made them has been done. And I was shocked at the lack of results that I found. And some of the things, some of the studies or the deep uh, analysis that I could find where they were talking about how so many of the female serial killers, the very few actually that are recorded in history, like the reason that they turn to such gruesome methods of killing is usually because of their histories of maybe abuse or mistreatment and not just for sport. And it was a little shocking to see that how that had not been looked into as much as like the history of Jack the Ripper or like what made Ted Bundy. And that's why we wanted to talk about that in this particular episode. We wanted to shed some light on the stories of uh, like the female, like fem- like reven- through revenge thrillers and I think true crime narratives. We wanted to see a more humane side of like maybe either if it's the victim or the person who is perpetrating the crime, like what made them do that or what made them vulnerable to like such a crime. And that's what we wanted to show in this episode. 
Yeah, and there's so many there's so many different avenues that you can pick and I think it's interesting you and I kind of the books all kind of kind of touch on the same thing like women who kill or f- basically I think the overall theme that we kind of landed on is like women who kill but for different reasons and like I'm particularly very interested in the fictional types of thrillers that have come out in the wake of the Me Too movement from a few years ago about and that are really about women who have who have kind of been at the mercy of the justice system when it comes to reporting violence that's happened towards them and when that system ultimately fails them they turn to less savory methods of justice and exerting their power and trying to if they can't make it right, try, trying to enact revenge on what was done to them. Um, I suppose this should be a good point before we jump into any of the specific books that although we are not going to be giving graphic descriptions of things like sexual assault or anything along those lines, these books, some of these books will touch on these themes very strongly. So just as a general content warning, if this is triggering for you, just know that that's going to kind of be at, that's going to kind of be on the edges of, of what we talk about. But Nazra, I, the the book, the first book that you picked, I've had on my list since I, since I knew it was a thing. So I'm really interested to hear about your first book. Yeah. So my first pick is America's First C- uh, Female Serial Killer by Mary K. McBrayer. So I, I've picked this book up before and I read the introduction and I was blown away by the introduction, but I just like never got around to it. And then once we started discussing ideas for this episode, um, I knew I had to pick this book up immediately just because that like this book actually captures what we're trying to accomplish here. And I'm just going to, I have the book right next to me. I wanted to read a line out loud just because I know that like that co- covers the essence of what we're trying to do here. So the book is about Jane Topin, uh, who was the America, like who was America's like first female serial killer. But once the author started like looking for more details about her or more works into like about why did she kill 31 people or what was where did she come from what drove her to those actions she could not find anything that was anything that was like like she couldn't find a coherent narrative and which was like shocking to her just because if you look at it history wise she was the first on record like female serial killer so but her purpose in writing this book was not just to put forth that narrative, but also to understand, to like understand like what made her or like what drove her to such actions. And in her introduction, she mentions Jane was a human and a monster just because she talks about how, because she mentions, she wants to very much acknowledge that there, there's no way, like her actions were in no way like excusable, but she also mentions that current narratives always focus more on her monstrosity. And for her, that is a problem. Monsters come from lack of humanity. And it seems to me that the human was driven out of Jane. So like her main premise is that everyone just focus on the mo- focuses on the monstrosity, but not how like people get there. And this story talks like this, like her, it's the narrative nonfiction and she like narrates and pieces together different pieces of like um, the asylum that Jane was in the people she worked with the people she interacted with um, the police report like what little police reports are there of her killings and just like 
and she compiles a like a narr- fantastic narrative that makes you see life through how Jane would have been seeing it. And it just like it, your heart goes out to her. You understand what she's doing. You want to help her, but like you also see a pattern of like how this could have been avoided or how intervention at the right moment could have like benefited. And then the most important thing that I took out from this story is how her story could have been told more and how a lot like a lot more of the such actions happening could have been prevented. And just like it's a fantastic like it is so nuanced and gripping and I absolutely loved it. So without giving away too much of details, um it just talks about uh Jane Topin who her um actual name was Honora Kelly. And she was abandoned at a young age. Her father left her and her sister at an asylum. And then it sort of takes you to her formative years and eventually to how she became a nurse and how she ended up killing 31 people. So I definitely would like to throw out like a lot of trigger warnings for like uh, assault, violence against children. Uh, but it's a difficult work. But like you said, Katie, it's like an important one. So it's called America's First Female Serial Killer by Mary K. McBrayer. Yeah, I've I've had this book on my to-read list for a long time, and it, oh my gosh, it just sounds so interesting. So my first pick goes with what I've talked about before with this kind of Me Too um, angle with modern women not being, you know, reporting rape and sexual assault and not being believed. The men who are committing these crimes are not being punished. And so women are looking for another way to reclaim their power. So my book is called They Never Learn by Lane Fargo, which came out last year. And yeah, so this book takes place on a college campus. And the main character is Scarlett Clark, who is an English professor. And she's like a female version of Dexter. But instead of killing serial killers, she kills rapists and men who prey on women, whether they are strangers, students that they meet at a bar, their wives. She typically will kill one male per year on campus. And for the last, you know, six or seven years, she's been getting away with it. But her, she's preparing for her biggest kill yet towards the beginning of the book. And right as she starts preparing for that, the school decides that they want to start probing into the growing body count on campus, which until this point had been written off as suicides or possible accidents. So in order to kind of get the inside scoop, Scarlett puts herself in the center of the investigation. She charms the woman in charge. And she thinks like, okay, you know, I've got this, I've got a handle on what's going on. But of course, this is a psychological thriller. And no, she don't. (laughs) Um, She does, she does not have have a handle on this. So this story is intertwined with the with the story of a freshman at the same school named Carly Schiller, who is trying to survive her freshman year. She's free from her father, who is emotionally abusive, and she kind of just wants to fade into the background, but her roommate has other ideas. Her roommate wants her to, like, get out and socialize and stuff, and there's a point where she and Carly are at the same party. Her roommate, whose name is Allison, is attacked, and Carly becomes obsessed with making the attacker pay for what he did to her roommate. 
this book, when I say this is a page turner, like I read probably about three quarters of the book this afternoon in like an hour and a half on the couch. It is so fast. Each chapter alternates between the two storylines. And it's like, you know exactly what you're going to get with a type of book like this. And it really delivers. It really talks about rage and anger and female anger because women are not allowed to express their anger in society. We're taught to repress it. And so it comes out in sometimes unexpected and violent ways. And it talks about power, like these types of crimes that the men on campus are committing. It's not about sex. It's about asserting power over women. And in a way, Scarlet's crimes where she kills these these men, she's reclaiming that power, saying, you, you are see- going to see consequences for what you did. And while we do not advocate for murder on this show, we only read about it, there is something satisfying about seeing people who normally are not held responsible for their crimes being held responsible in the most definitive possible way. You know, there's some difficult topics, but it's a page turner. And if this type of storyline is not triggering for you, which understandably it can be for a lot of people, this is a really interesting book to to pick up. It will make you angry. This is a good rage read. Um, so again, that is They Never Learn by Lane Fargo. All right. My second pick is, so this one is not, it, it's a true, uh, true crime historical uh, nonfiction narrative, um, but it is not about revenge per se but it is i just wanted to show another facet of like the historical narratives that have been told throughout just to give our listeners and just uh sharing some of my perspective like about how i felt when i read this and just to get like get those like thinking juices flowing that what exactly just to decipher a pattern so my next pick is the five by Haley rubenhold and what she does in this book is she takes us back to the streets of victorian london and she follows the life stories of each of the five confirmed victims of jack the ripper and uh, her main purpose in doing this and which she accomplishes in excellently in my opinion she wants to like reclaim their agency like their stories and just like what were what were their life stories like and which were which have been glossed over i i i knew i've known about jack the ripper like ever since i was like teenager like i've seen him everywhere he's like the boogeyman in so many works of fiction but no one ever talks about his victims or like the focus again somehow ends up being on the man on like on the killer himself instead of like the women that he ended up murdering and what she does is she talks about like how these uh women faced countless like tragedies not just like on the hands of society itself and what made them like so vulnerable to like such a heinous crime it's a it's a it's a difficult narrative to read, but it's also like what it opened my eyes to in especially in the context of this episode was how it seems like 
there seems to be a pattern of whose story gets told and whether it's the victim or the perpetrator of the crime doesn't really matter as much and that's what this history or like this not like this narrative brought to light for me that that was very true that i never knew how the conditions that the victims the confirmed victims of jack the ripper lived in or how the society treated them and what like uh, just what made them vulnerable at the end of the day and how they were like how someone was able to prey upon them and how society failed to like provide for them or to just give them basic human security. So um, I think it's uh, it's a riveting read and, uh, and if you if you can read it, it's an eye opener, especially in, in terms of like how we see true crime narratives in general, where we get so focused on like like the serial killer and just how like how did he come to be and on the serial killer if it's and like through the times what i've seen is serial killer if he's a man and so for example like for ted bundy like how did like how how did he kill what was history his history like and yet again the the female victims are largely ignored like what made them or how like how good, like how society failed those victims. So the, again, this is the five by Haley Rubenhold. Yeah, I think the best true crime are the the books and the documentaries that keep that focus in mind because it's so easy to get sidetracked by the gruesome crimes, especially for someone like Jack the Ripper. I mean, he's probably the most infamous serial killer of all time. Like he he's internationally infamous. And then real quickly, I'll jump into my second book, which is kind of funny because this the, there's so much nuance in this book. But my second pick is Out by Natsuo Kirino, um, which is translated from the Japanese. It was published in the mid-90s, and I think it was translated into English in the early 2000s. And a few years ago, we talked about this book on the on the episode, but I wanted to bring it up again. But it follows four female characters who all work at the same factory in Japan. And one of the women kills her husband. And like, that's like, that's towards the beginning of the book. He's really kind of a deadbeat does not do do anything. He mistreats her and she strangles him. And then seeks the help of her co-workers to help her dispose of the body and cover up the crime. So this ends up drawing these four women deeper into a life of crime. They catch the attention of the Yakuza, and they are asked to assist in other matters that may involve the disposing of a body. Like, this book, it, there are so many layers to it. It is, if you could not tell from the description, it is dark. It is gritty. This is not an easy read. It's pretty gross um, when they're talking about how they are actually taking care of the business of, dis of, shall we say, disassembling the body and then disposing of it. It's, it's really quite stomach-churning, and that's coming from me. But it looks at the role of women in Japanese culture at the time and how, you know, they are expected to be subservient to these men in their lives, whether they are husbands or sons or brothers or whoever. And just these men offer nothing to them. They do not support them. They take, you know, they, 
use up all their money. They they mistreat them. They abuse them. They don't speak to them. They expect these women to take care of everything in their lives. And so this is a the story takes a look as like, okay, what happens if they say, hey, no more. I'm not I'm not doing this. And of course, you have layers of how the women interact with each other, because obviously, a relationship that's formed, like they work together, but they also kill people and then dispose of the bodies, that's going to create some very unusual, tense relationships. And there is just so much going on in this book that unfortunately, I do not have, we do not have the episode time to talk about in full detail. But it's a really interesting look at the role of women in society and their and the expectations and what happens when they don't conform to those expectations. So again, that is called Out by Natsuo Kirino. Yeah, I've been uh, wanting to read that book. But again, like you mentioned, some of the triggers have kept me away. But I, I again, like from very like people whose taste I trust a lot, including yours, Katie, but uh, have mentioned <laughs> well, about you. how like, it's like how you almost like the act, the gruesome act itself sort of takes second place when the social commentary and the societal expectations, when they clash, like how the author has captured that. So like I'm, I, one day I should definitely pick this up. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we have just only, we have not even scratched the surface of, all the things we could talk about in terms of women's relationship to violence. So this this is a topic that we could probably talk about this for a year and still not exhaust all the topics. Um, but if you have any thoughts or any books that you read that kind of fit under that umbrella that you that you think would be really that we'd be interested in or that you really want to talk about, let us know. This is such a huge topic in crime fiction. It is not going anywhere, and we will be talking, continuing to talk about this in some in some form or another over other episodes. But with that, we got to jump into new releases real quick. So, uh, Nezra, why don't you give, go ahead and give us your first pick real quick. We'll, we'll bust through these. So my first pick for the new releases is a young adult title that comes out on the 16th March. And it's a crime mystery about... It's a coming-of-age crime mystery about our protagonist who is just trying to, like make sense of their identity, make sense of like who they want to be and how like the life around them pulls uh, pulls them into un- like unexpected circumstances. Um, the book is called Firekeeper's Daughter by Angel and it's by Angeline Booley. And it talks, it's about our protagonist, uh, Donnie's Fontaine, who has never quite fit in just because she was never quite fit in her tribe or her city life and her she dreams of studying medicine but when her family or when her family is struck by tragedy she has to like put her dreams on hold and just take care of her family and her, her bright like one of the bright spots in her life is meeting jamie the charming new recruit on her brother's hockey team but like as she spends more and more time with him she realizes that he like he's acting strange and he could be like it seems like he's harboring some secrets and what everything sort of comes together or like we witness this startling moment when donis witnesses shocking murder that thrusts her into like the heart of a criminal investigation and in the and 
like how she like decides to take matters into her own hand and just um, use her knowledge, like her, like her interest in science and just her, like her knowledge like of traditional or natural medicine from her time or her connection to the Ojibwe reservation to solve the crime. I know like for like, I love there, there about Tommy orange and this book is already being like, like lauded as like anyone who's loved that book or who enjoys like crime mystery that is mixed with a bit of like self-discovery is going to love it. And personally, I, it reminds me of murder on a red river by Marcy Rendon. And I'm super excited to get to this one. So it's firekeeper's daughter by Angeline Bully. It comes out 16th March from Henry Holt and co. All right. So my pick also comes out on March 16th and it's called the jigsaw man by Nadine Matheson. And this is a debut mystery. And when I think, I think this was a book that I wanted to put on my most anticipated list earlier in the year, but we only had so much time. So this is, this takes us like the trope of a serial killer and a copycat and really plays, plays with that trope. So uh, Detective Inspector Angelica Henley is um, with the serial crimes unit and she's called to a crime scene where dismembered body parts from two victims have been found by the river. Apparently, dismembered body parts was an unknown theme, and my book picks this for this episode. I did not plan that. So anyway, she finds she finds the body parts from the two victims, and she notices that the M.O. bears a striking resemblance to Peter Olivier, who is the notorious jigsaw killer who has spent the past two years behind bars. And when Olivier learns that someone is co-opting his grisly signature, which is the arrangement of victims' limbs in puzzle piece shapes, hence the title of the book, he decides to take matters into his own hands from jail. And as the body count rises, Angelica Henley is faced with an unspeakable new threat. Can she apprehend this copycat killer before Olivier finds a way to get to him first, or will she become the next victim? This book sounds bonkers. And what I also like is when the author is able to use their own experience from working in criminal investigation or working in the legal system. And Nadine Matheson um, has experience as a criminal attorney. So she's able to pull a lot of those details and and put them into the book. So I, I just think it makes everything super, super interesting when they're able to add that layer to it. So I am super excited to grab a copy of this book. So again, that is called The Jigsaw Man by Nadine Matheson. And that comes out on March 16th. And then real quickly, we do have an honorable mention. Um, So in previous episodes, we've talked about Vivian Chien, who does the cozy mystery noodle shop mystery series. And if you have been following that series, her latest installment, Fatal Fried Rice, is out um, today, March 9th. Today is, yes, today is the 9th as we are recording this. So by the time you're listening to it, it's out. Um, So this is number seven in the series. And we just wanted to flag that one since we know that's that's been a popular series. Okay, so Nezra, what have you been reading lately? As you can see from my show notes, Katie, I have apparently forgotten what it's like to finish a book. Like even my, uh, like the reads, like I read America's uh, first female serial killer for this podcast. And I'm st- I like, I have just two pages to go. 
And I, I just <laughs> refuse to finish it. I, I, I have no idea what's going on there. So there's not much in the way of having finished, but I am currently reading Finlay Donovan is Killing It by Ali Cosimano. And I think um, you were the one who brought it to my attention in one of, like, I think the, the last to last episode that we did, it was one of your anticipated new releases for the upcoming weeks. And it just sounded so up my alley just because it's a struggling mom who's trying to just like, get her like toddler like her toddler and her baby and is also trying to stay on top of her bills like and write a suspense novel on top of all of it and then she is asked to like she's offered a huge sum to like commit a murder because like she's as she's like talking over about her like about her novel plot someone mistakes her for a contract killer and she's like like i want the part of the book where it's it's i'm just in the beginning but she's like actually considering because she's like would it solve all my problems? <laughs> it's just a hilarious, like, relatable mom content, but also, like, with the added layer of, like, murder and just, like, her actually trying to commit murder. And um, I don't, I haven't, thought, uh, like, talked about this before, but if you enjoyed A Bad Day for Sunshine by Dorinda Jones, like, it's, like, it's a humorous, crime fiction which has a little absurdist plot but then it also like sheds light on the little moments of you know like desperation that humans go through and uh it's a perfect mix so that's what i'm currently reading i'm just and now i'm thinking of hearing you kind of relate to it i'm like don't worry nezra is not actually going out again <laughs> we do not advocate for murder no, on the show i've said it before i will say it again so for me, I haven't been reading as quickly as I used to years, you know, several years ago, but I am picking up books and making my way through them. I did finish listening to The Lost Man by Jane Harper. It got sidetracked for a little bit, but then I finished listening to it. And oh my gosh, I loved it so much. Like it was like, it's, I like it at least as much as The Dry. And I yeah. love The Dry. This, this one is so good. I've, we've talked about the plot before. I won't go I won't go into details about it again. Um I will say just knowing the basic premise of the story is enough um just what gets the story started. I would say leave your don't go looking for too many other plot details. It, the way it unfolds is really interesting and oh my gosh, I just loved it so much. So yeah, again, Lost Man Jane Harper, Jane Harper show. <laughs> Woohoo. Um <laughs> And then in terms of what I'm currently reading, you know, I still have books that I mentioned before. I did also download an obscene number of digital arcs to my iPad from Edelweiss. So I have a lot of digital arcs that I'm going to jump into. Inc oh, actually, I just remembered I got I got access this week or at the end of last week, to The Bombay Prince by Sujata oh Masi. So I have to download that to my iPad, but that might that might be my next read. Um, but yeah, I've got, I've got lots of digi digital arcs on there, so we'll see what happens. And that's our show. Uh, thanks so much to everyone for listening. Thanks to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound great. Uh, for show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice.
If you want to send an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can reach us at redordead at bookriot.com, which we will leave in the show notes as well. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Javed Nasra. That's J-A-V-E-D-N-U-S-R-A-H. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. All right. And we will talk to you all next time. 